Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the interesting features of Ursula K. Le Guin's third Earthsea novel, The Farthest Shore, is that we now have Ged in the prime of his powers as the Archmage, presumably having about as much wisdom as he's going to have in his life. Some of it learned from bitter experience. And there are passages where he is communicating what we can call an ethical teaching and a metaphysical teaching as well to this young man. Aaron, a nobleman who pledges himself to Ged to go on this quest to find out what's wrong now with the world and what has upset the equilibrium or balance and brought in some considerable evil. And so Ged is going to say things at a couple different points. And because he's this character placed where he is, he can now communicate what has either been learned by him through experience and, you know, reflection upon it or other people had told him along the line, and generally, like young people do, he didn't pay close enough attention to. So we're getting this teaching coming to us, not in a sort of treatise, but you might say through the cracks, in off moments, in places where Ged thinks that it's important to communicate something to this young man. As it's going to turn out, there's some good reasons he's not just talking to anybody whatsoever. He's talking to somebody who has a destiny ahead of him, as it gets revealed a little bit later on in the novel. And so when they first encounter each other, this is very early on in the book, and Aaron is pledged himself and is going to go on this quest with Ged, Aaron expresses a sort of, we could say, bewilderment. Why me? I don't really have anything to offer. He says, I have no great gifts or skills. What use will I be to you? And Ged says, would you rather that somebody else went with me and you stayed behind? And Aaron says, no, but I fear. Fear what? Tears sprang to the boy's eyes to fail you. And then Ged says, sit down. I'm going to tell you something. I did not mistake you for a wizard or a warrior or any finished thing. What you are, I do not know, though I'm glad to know you can sail a boat. What you will be, no one knows, but this much I do know. You are the son of Morad and of Syriad. Iron was silent. That's true, my lord, but the archmage said nothing and he had to finish his sentence. I am not Morad. I'm only myself. Ged says, you take no pride in your lineage? Yes, I take pride in it because it makes me a prince. It's a responsibility, a thing that must be lived up to. And so Ged then says, here's the teaching. That is what I meant. To deny the past is to deny the future. A man does not make his destiny. He accepts it or denies it. If the Rowan's roots are shallow, it bears no crown. At this, Aaron looked up startled for his true name, Lebanon, meant the Rowan tree. But the Archmage had not said his name. Your roots are deep. You have strength and you must have room, room to grow. So I offer you, instead of a safe trip home to Enlid, an unsafe voyage to an unknown end. You need not come. The choice is yours, but I offer you the choice. And Aaron says, my lord, I choose to go with you. So, you know, think about this for a moment. It's a really interesting teaching. Everyone has a destiny. Now, when we say that, we often think of determinism. Oh, I have a destiny. I got to go this way. That's my only choice. Ged is not saying that. You have a destiny. You can accept it 
and follow it, or you can try to go against it. You can try to escape it. You can try to undo it. You can try to dominate it and make it be something else, but none of those are really going to work, and you'll wind up with a different sort of fate, not necessarily destiny. So that's a good place to to start. Everything that we do has some sort of connection and consequences. And he talks quite a bit about acts and choices in here. One of the very interesting parts early on when they are disguised as wayfarers, Ged says, I don't want to go among men again tomorrow. I've been pretending that I'm free, that nothing's wrong in the world, that I'm not archmage, not even sorcerer, that I'm hawk of Tamir without responsibilities or privileges, owing nothing to anyone. And, you know, Aaron is a little bit surprised that if you're the Archmage, why would you not want to be the Archmage? Well, it comes with these vast world responsibilities and just getting to pilot a ship around a bit and, you know, hang out and stuff like that is kind of nice for somebody who is in power. And Ged goes on and he says, very seldom do you come upon a space, a time like this, between act and act, where you may stop and simply be or wonder who, after all, you are. Much of the time we're making decisions, making choices, acting. And these actions are connected together in a vast nexus, as we're going to see. Sometimes we get a pause and we get to just be who we are. It could be by ourselves, in solitude. It could be in the elements, in this case, out on a a boat pitching in the water. It could be with somebody else or even something else, cuddling up with a cat or in Ged's younger days with his otak, right? But there are times like that between act and act. But acts are very important through acts that the world is maintained, you could say. He says, try to choose carefully, Aaron, when great choices must be made. When I was young, I had to choose between the life of being and the life of doing. And I leapt at the ladder like a trout to a fly. But each act you do, each act, notice no exceptions, binds you to itself and to its consequences, makes you act again and yet again. So each thing that you do has consequences, and those consequences are not just the full product of the act. Those consequences lead into new situations in which you do have the trail of the past behind you. Much later in there, he talks about how he made a mistake. He says, I know how much evil one man, one life can do. I know it all too well. I know it because I have done it. I've done the same evil and the same folly of pride. I opened the door between the worlds just a crack, just a little crack, just to show I was stronger than death itself. I was young and had not met death like you. It took the strength of the archmage, Nemerla. It took his mastery and his life to shut the door. You can see the mark that night left on me on my face, but him, it killed. And so he's saying, here's a prime example. Of course, this is coming later on in the teaching. He also explains that there's a metaphysical reality. I was going to say concept, but our concept is just the mere map of that reality that these mages call the balance or the equilibrium. And we learned about this before in A Wizard of Earthsea. Now we learn a little bit more about it here in what is told to Aaron. 
So Aaron and, and Gad are having this conversation about what's been happening. And he says, can it be a kind of pestilence, a plague? And Gad says, a pestilence is a motion of the great balance. We'll come back to that in a moment. And he says, every act takes place within this balance. Every act has the potential to upset things. A little bit later, when Gad has rescued him from the slave ship, and Gad didn't impose any sort of penalty or punishment upon the slavers. He says, I, I don't come to punish. What he does is he removes the chains from all of the captives and he leaves things in their own hands. So Aaron says, why didn't you free the other slaves? And, and Ged says, I did. I left none bound on that ship. But Eggers' men had weapons if you'd bound them. I, if I had bound them, there were but six. The oarsmen were chained slaves like you. Egger and his men may be dead by now or chained by the others to be sold as slaves, but I left them free. Notice, I left them free to fight or bargain. I am no slave taker. But you knew them to be evil men. Was I to join them, therefore? Notice what he says next. To let their acts rule my own. When we allow ourselves to be dragged into this process of retaliation, we allow others' acts to determine our acts, to rule our own. Ged, in his wisdom, brings a different possibility. He says, I will not make their choices for them, nor will I let them make mine for me. And then Ged says, do you see, Aaron, how an act is not, as young men think, like a rock that one picks up and throws, and it hits or misses, and that's the end of it. This is a mistaken concept of acts. When that rock is lifted, the earth is lighter, and the hand that bears it heavier. Already, you have changed things in the world. When it is thrown, the circuits of the stars respond, and where it strikes or falls, the universe is changed. Now, these are small changes, of course, throwing a rock. But what if you throw a rock and it hits a person in the head and kills them? Now that's a very significant change. What if you throw a rock and it causes a landslide? What if you throw a rock and it plunges into a pool and saves a fish that is about to be devoured by another? There are all different possibilities. He goes on and he says, on every act, notice he says every act, not just on important acts, on every act, the balance of the whole depends, the winds and seas, the power of water and earth and light, all that these do and all that the beasts and green things do is well done and rightly done. All of these act within the equilibrium from the hurricane and the great whale sounding to the fall of a dry leaf and the gnat's flight. All they do is within the balance of the whole, but we human beings Insofar as we have power over the world and over one another, we must learn to do what the leaf and the whale and the wind do of their own nature. We must learn to keep the balance. Having intelligence, we must not act in ignorance. Having choice, we must not act without responsibility. Who am I? Though I have the power to do it, to punish and reward playing with men's destinies. And then Aaron says, well, does that mean you just don't do anything? Is the balance to be kept by doing nothing? Surely a man must act, even not knowing the consequences of his act, if anything is to be done at all. And Ged says, never fear. It's much easier for men to act than to refrain from acting. We will continue to do good and to do evil, but we have to start taking greater cognizance of the responsibility that our actions have for disrupting the balance. Every act is possible within the scope of the balance, but it can set things off. And what's going to happen, as we find out, of course, is the actions of the sorcerer Cobb have drastically affected it. So human beings can live 
live within the equilibrium or they can disrupt it in very significant ways. There's also a difference between the shifts of the equilibrium. So going back to the question about pestilence, right? Can it be a kind of pestilence, a plague that drifts from land to land, blighting the crops and flocks and men's spirits? And Ged says, a pestilence is a motion of the great balance of the equilibrium itself. This is different. There's the stink of evil in it, right? So what makes it evil? This is a key question here. What distinguishes between badness, a hurricane coming and wiping out your place, that is indeed badness, and genuine evil. Evil exists within the world of Earthsea, and evil is not just being mean or something like that. There's a source to it. There's reasons for it. So he says, we may suffer for it when the balance of things writes itself, but we don't lose hope and forego art and forget the words of the making. Nature is not unnatural. This is not a writing of the balance, what's going on, but an upsetting of it. There's only one creature that can do that. What's that creature? A man, Aaron said tentative. We men. And then here's a question, well, why? But a little bit after that, Aaron says, what about dragons? Aren't they evil? Do they not do great evil? And Ged says, the dragons are avaricious, insatiable, treacherous, without pity, without remorse. But are they evil? Who am I to judge the acts of dragons? They are wiser than men are. It is with them as with dreams, Aaron. We men dream dreams. We work magic. We do good. We do evil. The dragons do not dream. They are dreams. They do not work magic. It is their substance, their being. They do not do, they are. Can they be said to be good or evil? Perhaps not. Coming back to human beings, what produces evil? What leads to evil? What can disrupt the equilibrium? So there's a couple different things that are, that are said here. One is about greed. He says, when we crave power over life, endless wealth, unassailable safety, immortality, then desire, desire is okay, desire becomes greed. And if knowledge allies itself to that greed, then comes evil. Then the balance of the world is swayed and ruin weighs heavy in the scale. And Aaron says, I thought that wizardry depends on the balance though. How can wizardry be evil in any respect? And Ged goes on and he says, every land of earth sea knows of witches who classed unclean spells, sorcerers who use their art to earn, to, to win riches. But there's more. The fire lord who sought to undo the darkness and stop the sun at noon was a great mage. Even Aerith Akba could scarcely defeat him. The enemy of Mordred was another such. When he came, whole cities knelt to him, armies fought for him. The spell he wove against Mordred was so mighty, even when he was slain, it could not be halted and the island of Salea was overwhelmed by the sea and all on it perished. Those were men in whom great strength and knowledge served the will to evil and fed upon it. So there's a will to evil and then there's a question of what happens with this will. What acts, what choices, what capacities, what consequences are involved. A bit later when he's talking about evil as well, he is going to bring up Another, you could say, if we're talking about greed and life and immortality, the fear of death is another one. So he says, listen to me, Aaron, you will die. You will not live forever, nor will any man or anything. Nothing is immortal, but only to us is it given to know that we must die. That is a very great gift, the gift of selfhood. For we have only what we know we must lose, what we are willing to lose. That selfhood, which is our torment and our treasure and our humanity does not endure. 
It changes. It is gone. A wave on the sea. Would you have the sea grow still and the tide cease to save one wave to save yourself? Would you give up the craft of your hands and the passion of your heart and the light of sunrise and sunset to buy safety for yourself? Safety forever. That is what these people are doing. Those who are following the person who's offering them immortality. And he goes on and he says, that is the message that those who know how to hear have heard. By denying life, you may deny death and live forever. And he says, that message I do not hear, Aaron, for I will not hear it. I will not take the counsel of despair. You and your innocence and courage and your unwisdom and loyalty are my guide, the child I would send before me into the dark. So Aaron has to choose what he himself is going to do with this, right? And the issue, the question is how one is going to deal with this this fear of death, this desire for life. That is what leads to evil, taking the wrong choice, over and over again when it comes to that. The last thing that I want to bring up here is that returning to this issue of Ged saying, I screwed up myself. Aaron says, well, aren't you still a good man? Ged says, the door between light and darkness can be opened. To shut it again, that's a different story. And Aaron says, but my Lord, what you speak of is surely different than this. And Ged says, why? Because I'm a good man? What is a good man? Is a good man one who would do no evil, who would not open a door into the darkness, who has no darkness in him? Look again, lad. Look a little farther. You will need what you learn to go where you must go. Look into yourself. Did you not hear a voice say, come? Did you not follow? And he says, I thought that voice was his, the dark mage, right? And Ged says, yes, it was his, but it was also yours. How could he speak to you across the seas, but in your own voice? How is it that he calls to those who know how to listen, the mages and makers and seekers who hear the voice within them? How does he, he does not call to me? It is because I will not listen. I'm not going to obey. You could, you have to make a choice. You have to act. You have to decide for yourself. And that, it's not that there's inherent goodness within us that we just tap into and rely upon. And once it's damaged, it's gone. No, the goodness exists through acting, through aligning ourselves once again in the difficult choices with this equilibrium and refusing the temptations that we could give into. Get is saying to Aaron, this evil guy who's undoing the equilibrium itself and maybe destroying Earthsea, he's not that radically different from you and I, except in the choices that he's making and in the powers that he has harnessed. Same thing with the people who are going along with him to their ruin. So this is some very interesting, well-worked-out ethical reflections and counsels on the part of Ged that we could see enfolded here within the story itself. If we're too eager for the action itself of the story, we might miss this stuff. But upon subsequent readings, it becomes very clear that this is what is motivating Ged and this is what he is teaching Aaron. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, Keep studying these great philosophical works.